Welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, future will try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? Our number is 291-6901. And you use the area code here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is 225. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. There you go. Sure wish you would. We all enjoy hearing from people all around town, all around the country. Even all around the world with the right code. You got it. <laughs> Go ahead and give us a call. We'd be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. Of course, we're live and in person. That we are, ready, for, ripping and rearing and ready to go to answer your questions today. That's right. <laughs> give us a call. We were talking before the show about just different things that we haven't really discussed right. recently, and that might be timely topics. We always try to come up with some kind of, a, I guess, a general outline of things to talk about during the show, just to keep it from being a hodgepodge of what have you. Sure. Of course, you're never limited to whatever we're discussing. Not at all. That particular day, you can call on any topic that might be on your mind. We'll try to help you out and point you in the right direction. But Today's topic, I thought we would talk about buying a used car. Right, and that is sort of a timely thing because with income tax returns starting to flow back in, right, a lot of people have a little extra money in their pockets right now. Maybe and, looking for a, a new vehicle or mm-hmm. newer vehicle. Used vehicle. Well, new to new them. them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, when we say new, it doesn't necessarily mean new, brand, brand new. new. Correct. And there's a lot of wisdom in buying a pre-owned vehicle. Oh, most definitely. I mean, but you got to find the right one. You got to find the right one, and there's certain things you really need to look out for. Exactly. And I thought we'd discuss that a bit today. But All right. before we do, we we'll go to our phone lines. We've got Kevin online. Good morning, Kevin. Good morning, Lewis and Brian Terry. Good to talk with you guys this morning. I uh, actually, I'm really excited about this topic because. You've mentioned a financial guru that I believe is on your channel. I'm from Fairmont, West Virginia, uh-huh. a little ways away. But you've mentioned a guy who talks about financial situations, and I've heard him talk on more than one occasion about, you know, you want to get the grandma's car that's sitting in a lot somewhere, or sitting <laughs> in a garage somewhere. And I'm like, oh, no, Brian and Jerry would not agree with that. <laughs> so, so I'm really glad you guys are talking about this. I was actually going to suggest that at one point. Mm-hmm. You know, what would you look for when buying a used car, especially with a dirt bike? You know, there's you look at the chain and sprockets. You look at things that most people don't change. They'll change the plastic. They'll change the graphics. Right. But there are things about the running hardware on a vehicle like that mm-hmm. that most people don't change that'll give you a very good indication of what kind of maintenance That's done. That's exactly right. But actually, I had a different question okay. than that for you today. I actually, I have a uh, an Audi, an Audi A4, 2008 Audi A4, mm-hmm. and I get emails from a place where I buy a lot of my parts from. I get a lot of the OEM parts from a certain company near me because it's free shipping and it just makes it convenient. However, I had gotten an advertisement for something that I had never heard really before last week, and that was for a metal oil filter. And it's supposed to be an oil filter that is supposed to flow just as well. I know if things are, you know, sound too good to be true, they usually are. Mm-hmm. But I thought, you know, there are some things on this car which I've changed that are, in my opinion, and from what I've read on other uh, opinions, it's better than stock. The thing is, vehicles are made for a certain purpose. Mm-hmm. And vehicles are made for a certain mileage. They're made for a certain performance level. They're made for certain cost reasons, you know. Correct. Uh, they would do things so that that would be more advantageous. What I would be asking is, this thing is pretty 
pretty expensive. You could do a lot of oil changes mm-hmm. <laughs> with a regular filter. This uses a paper filter, which is kind of a pain to work on. But I was just wondering if that is something that would make sense and if it's actually a good idea for somebody who plans on keeping their car long-term and is still going to be doing things the same rate. I just thought maybe that'd be, I don't know if that's an interesting way to go or if maybe yeah. they just didn't do that because of cost or what. Yeah, I've seen things similar. I'm not sure I've seen the exact thing you're talking about. Some of them use like a steel sure. wool type media. Some of them, they've had all kind of fiberglass and all these different things over the years. And the only thing that really would make a filter better is if you would make the media, an average oil filter will filter down to about a 40 micron particle. And the only thing to make it better is to filter out smaller particles. The problem is when you do that, either you have to have two filters, a pre-filter and then that filter, which increases maintenance, increases cost. Or you have to have a filter so large because when you start taking out smaller particles, you plug up faster. And sure. if it plugs Absolutely. up, you're worse off than you would be right. with the, the other filter. So they, it bypasses and right. you don't get filtered all at all. Right. They compromised on the 40 micron filter. So, I mean, if I were going to do anything at all, I really kind of doubt that there's a filter that's just that much better in and of itself. I mean, I've not seen sure. anything. I've seen a lot of filters. I, I would stick with just the Audi filter. If you just wanted to go to like an ultimate thing, they do make some secondary filters, but they're kind of a pain to put in. That you can put in in liners. The, the regular filter takes out the bigger stuff. This takes out a smaller stuff. I can see where that would be advantageous thing. The problem with it is it involves a lot of plumbing, which is vulnerable to damage, vulnerable to leaks. I guess sure. overall, you know, if you take just the Audi filter and change your oil on a regular basis, you're probably going to get tired of looking at that car before you have any lubrication-related problems. <laughs> you know, well, that's, that's it, it may be a solution in search of a problem. Sure, sure. And, and actually, that's... That leads me to one other question, if you have just a minute, mm-hmm. is one problem that this car has, and I'm sure you guys are seeing it a lot with these cars with direct injection, you don't have the valve getting cleaned by the intake. That is correct. Uh, by the fuel in the intake manifold. And the problem with this car, especially these FSI and TFSI engines, mm-hmm. they have a problem with coking up. They actually get carboned up in yes. the intake. Mm-hmm. And uh, you pretty much have to take the intake manifold off. Right everything to get to it and really to do the good the pretty good job you need to take the head off too yeah and my question is i have heard once again this is another thing that goes kind of above and beyond but i already have the pcv system on the car mm-hmm. from the factory mm-hmm. but they do make some that still uses a pcv valve but it also has a catch can okay now, the catch can is going to be more work because you do have to clean that out right but supposedly that is supposed to try and get rid of some of that oil that's still in suspension that's still mm-hmm. going through and back being diverted back into the intake. Is that something that would be an idea to keep that at bay? Some I, people say you just get on the gas and it'll kind of pull that in, and I do that plenty. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. But I just don't want to have to tear this engine down right. again. It's been done once before, but I'm at 147,000 miles right. now. Yeah, that's uh, something that a lot of the European cars suggest. A lot of the enthusiasts, I don't work on European cars, so I I, sure, I, sure. I don't see it that much. But I know a lot of the enthusiasts, I hear them talking about these all catch cans and all, and it seems to be something more prone to the European engines. The Japanese engines and the domestic engines, you really don't see it very much at all. We do. Okay. We are starting to see some of the valve coking and, and valve sticking because of the direct injection. And it's just kind of one of those, when you change technology, you gain a lot of stuff, but you always lose sure. something else. And like sure. I said, the fuel used to clean the valves with the detergent and all, and it doesn't do that now because it sprays directly in the chamber. But, 
I mean, I don't see where it's a huge problem. There are certain things you can draw in through the intake to clean those without taking them off. If you do that on a preventive basis on the cars that are prone to it, I'm not sure how much better this system would do. But, again, I'm not a European car expert. I know a lot of people with the Volvos and all suggest these all-catch systems. I don't see where it would really hurt anything other than just being an extra maintenance item, but I don't see where it could possibly hurt anything. Well, and, and honestly, I believe the main thing is just changing your oil when you're supposed to. And you That's the big thing, oil yeah. probably mm-hmm. the best thing because whoever had this before, they were using Shell Rotella 1540. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, my goodness, it's supposed to be 54530, you know, is, is what the book calls for. And it's mm-hmm. like just because it has cleaning properties in the diesel oil does not mean that it's good to run in a car. Yeah, it's not designed for that <laughs> at all. So, mm-hmm. Well, guys, thank you so much. I could talk to you guys all day, but I love <laughs> your show. You guys are awesome, and I really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much. Kevin, thanks for calling, show. man. Thank you. All right. See you later. Thanks, see man. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If Kevin can call from West Virginia, you can call from West Baton Rouge. That's the fact. <laughs> or wherever you may happen to be. See if we can catch one more call for the break. we all got right. Lee on line. Good morning, Lee. Good morning. I wanted to talk to you guys about our upcoming event this coming weekend. Okay. 40th anniversary rods run. Okay. It's a street tw- uh, pre-49 street rod only event. It's being held at the Jerry Lane Cadillac dealership on Riga Road. Starts Friday, goes through Saturday and Sunday. Okay. It's uh, spectators free. We support charity, the Hospice of Baton Rouge. We're going to have well over 100 classic car street rods all weekend long. We've got a Saturday night parking lot party with the Warren Broussard Band. All right. We'd like to invite y'all to come out and anybody else that's interested in nice-looking street rods and classic cars. These are all older than 1949, modified. We've got some very nice cars. We've got a website, www.streetrods.org. And you can like us on Facebook at Ramblin' Oldies of Denham Springs. Okay. Name of our club. Lee, people just need to show up, or do they need to pre-register or buy a ticket or anything well if they if they want to participate in the event put a car in the show they have mm-hmm. to they, they can pre-register but spectators no just show up spectators come out just show up and okay. we'll have food and music and stuff going on okay. all day there's uh, vendors a lot of vendors so we're going to be wide open all okay. weekend well, give us those weekend. times again the registration starts Friday at noon, mm-hmm. goes till 6 o'clock. Okay. Saturday we open at 8 o'clock and go till the party's over that night at, okay. at uh, 9 o'clock or so. And Sunday morning we do a little church service and our awards program. We're usually out of there by noon on okay. Sunday. Saturday would be a great day for spectators to come out and see us. Okay. And, uh, well, very good. We appreciate you guys, man. Love your show, and y'all have a great day. All right, Lee, thanks Thank you, man. Call, you man. too. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. All right, we got to take a quick little break. Greg and Jim, you guys hold up. You'll be straight after this break. Travel my way. Welcome. I am the great fondue, automobile fortune teller. Sit. I'm hoping you can tell me if I have any big car repairs looming in my future. Ah, I see you among many cars, stopping and going. Yeah, Baton Rouge traffic. Now you're making a left turn. Hands, ten and two. Nice form. Uh, thanks? Now you're stopped at a light. Look, you're just naming things I do every day. I want to know if my car is going to break down anytime soon. If you're hoping to gaze into your car's future, Agco suggests bringing in your vehicle once a year for a general inspection. Agco gives you an honest opinion on the maintenance needed to keep your car running and save you money on big repairs in the future. 
great fondue, you should try another profession instead of a car fortune teller. Well, I was a mechanic at one of those quick lube places, and believe me, I'm actually a better fortune teller. Well, that's scary. Keep your car on the road longer. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Thanks for spending your Saturday morning with us. We really appreciate it. This is the Automotive Hour. I got Mr. Brian Terry right here in the school pilot seat next to me. And we're going to try to catch a few of these phone calls. We got Greg online. Good morning, Greg. Good morning. I have a 2003 Toyota Corolla, uh-huh. check engine lights on. The code is a PO442 EVAP system, small leak. Is that, I mean, is that just a matter of changing vacuum lines until I find the right one? No. No, I mean, no you'll you be changing stuff yeah. for the rest of your life, Greg. And that, you may create a bigger problem. Yeah, that code, unfortunately, there are about. 30 different things that can set it one of the common things on that one there's a solenoid back on the charcoal canister and there's a solenoid up on the front of the motor but the thing is this those solenoids are usually plugged up with carbon and the carbon has come out of the charcoal canister and that's fairly common i'm not saying that is the problem but that's one of the common issues with that the charcoal canister will rupture the carbon goes out through the system and plugs those two solenoids and it starts setting that code and if you stick a new solenoid on, it's going to fix it for about a week or two, and it's going to come back because we plugged up again. But you have to have someone who has the wherewithal to go in and diagnose, make sure, number one, that is the problem. If it is the problem, you have to change the charcoal canister in both solenoids. And if I'm not mistaken, that canister is underneath the – it's between the body and the suspension on the rear. You have to drop the rear suspension out to get that canister out mm-hmm. if it's the vehicle I'm thinking of. Now, I mean, obviously a vacuum line could cause that code. A bad gas cap could cause that code. A crack in the gas a tank. A crack in a bad gas sensor. Tank. Yeah. A Somebody bad sensor. Had, if someone had the fuel pump out and didn't put the seal back, I mean, anything yeah. that allows it to leak is going to cause that, that, that same code. The only way I know to do that, if you've got a Toyota scan tool, you can go in, you can actuate each of the solenoids, you can close them both off, command the system to go through a self-test and all that. And beyond that, you can do a smoke test, which can find small leaks and all that. But it's normally going to be out of the realm of most do-it-yourselfers. I mean, you could try to change the gas cap, see if that helps. It doesn't cost a whole lot. If it's not been changed before, it probably needs it anyway. You can inspect it, look for cracked vacuum lines and all that. But beyond that, you almost have to take it to somebody and have them diagnose it for you. Yeah. Okay. I was hoping it would be something simple. Yeah. Most likely, it's going to be the charcoal canister and, and the solenoids. Well, you got 140, 150,000 miles? Uh, no, actually about 93. Yeah, lower miles. I'm going to tell you what Toyota says causes that, and I can't swear to God this is true, but I've noticed a lot of people we do this work for, we ask them, and I know I used to do it on my car. I would fill my gas tank, and when the nozzle cut off the first time, I don't like stopping for gas, so I just keep putting gas in until it got all the way to the top Up in fill the neck. tube. Yeah. And they say that's what causes it. If you don't stop the first time that pump cuts off, it causes gas to come up that fill neck. It goes down and gets in the charcoal canister, and that gas breaks the plastic down, and that makes the charcoal release and all the, that. The canister is designed for the vapor, not the liquid. Right. So if you ever do that, don't do that anymore. It's not going to fix this problem, but it'll prevent it from happening again, possibly. I know mine, my car did the same exact thing, so I quit doing that, changed the charcoal canister, and never did do it again, so... Yeah. Okay. Uh, we'll probably have to get it in and get it checked out. Yeah, there. you're going to need to have someone that knows what they're doing and has the proper tooling to diagnose that. And, I mean, it could be – I would certainly look and just see if there's any lines off. I mean, are any lines that look cracked or anything. Anything you can do yourself. And, like I said, if you uh, haven't look, changed the gas cap, go ahead and replace the cap with a Toyota cap. Sometimes that'll fix it, but most of the time not. Now, I looked at some of the, the vacuum lines, mm-hmm. and they were – I mean, they're all in this other sleeve. Right. So – 
you know, short of pulling them off and, and taking them out and looking at them. I did not do well, that. Well, and I got to tell you, Greg, on Toyotas, we really don't change a lot of vacuum lines, hardly at all. I yeah. can't remember the last time. Like Chrysler's, we do that a lot. The vacuum lines are bad about going out. We do them a bunch. Toyota, not so much. I mean, Toyota rubber is usually pretty good stuff. I mean, like their plug wires last the life of the car. I mean, they just, they've got a pretty good rubber batching facility or whatever process we don't see a lot of trouble with vacuum lines on toyota well let me ask you this if i do change the gas cap Mm -hmm. how long before i'll know if that worked or not well it's going to go through a couple of self-tests and it depends on how much gas you got in the car and how much you drive it and all that sort of thing but you're gonna have to run somewhere more than a quarter tank less than three quarters of a tank and it's got to see some cold starts that means it has to go from completely cold up to completely warm a couple of times and then you'll see the light will go back out at that point and what he means yeah. by cold starts is the ambient temperature the air temperature has to match the coolant temperature right so it's not just like setting it for out for two An or three hour hours or two, yeah and going out there, pretty it's much not a cold start pretty much, pretty much, much overnight. overnight and then you have to start it and then drive it long enough for the test to run like right. if, you, if you drive it 15 minutes cut it off it's going to bar the test and it's not going to run the test next time because it's already been started so yeah. that's the kind of criteria. Put somewhere around a half a tank of gas in it, and then, like I said, get a good cold start, drive it a good distance, maybe an hour or so, cut it off, do that a couple of times, and light should cycle off if, if that's fixed the problem. Okay. All righty? All right. Well, thank you for your help. All right, man. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Time for one more phone call here. We got Jim on the line. Good morning, Jim. Yeah, hey, guys. I got a 97 Toyota Tacoma pickup truck. Mm-hmm. I got like 285000 Wow, on it. okay. Yeah, it runs good. My um, the air conditioner worked good up until two hundred and seventy five. Mm-hmm. The original air conditioner. Wow. And I was going on the way home, and I heard a horrible squealing under the hood. I pulled over, left the engine running, and it was the clutch on the air conditioner looked like it was freezing up. It yeah. Was throwing rust all on the hood and all on the sidewall. Right. I said, "Oh my God, this thing's fixing to um, catch the belt." And and so I cut the belt off, drove home, didn't have no problem. Mm-hmm. Could I put a new clutch on that air conditioner? and get some more life out of it without having to put a whole new compressor on there. Almost never, but you'd have to know for sure that the AC system itself was intact because a lot of times what happens, the compressor will freeze up and the clutch is just trying to lock in with a froze-up compressor, and that's what's doing that. So you got to make sure that if with the clutch engaged, you can still turn the compressor. The compressor itself is free. It's not just the clutch. If it's just the clutch, the next hurdle that you got is that the snout on that compressor that the clutch slides over is aluminum. And when they get to that point, it usually chews that aluminum neck up on the compressor. So in almost every case, particularly with that many miles, you're going to be into at least a compressor and a clutch. Now, the kicker is, Jim, you got to be air conditioning is one of those things that if you don't do it right the first time, you're going to go into a money pit from hell. You know, it it just it just keeps going and going and going. What you want to do is either yourself or somebody vacuum the system down, break the line, check the orifice tube. And if the orifice tube is completely clean, there's no metal in it, and all is not burned or anything, then you would get by just changing the compressor and changing the filter dryer on it. If there's any metal in that orifice tube, then you're pretty much going to be into a complete system at that point because the compressor's starting to come apart. Put a new one on, it's just going to go right back through. It's going to take the next one out. And okay. that's going to generally involve a compressor, a filter dryer, a condenser, an orifice tube, and if there are any mufflers on any of the hoses, those are going to need to be replaced because all that stuff retains metal. And, man, I have I couldn't tell you how many systems we've seen where someone's put two compressors on it, now they bring it to me to fix it, 
and it's so contaminated with metal it almost can't be fixed at this yeah, point. Start over. And they've thrown just thousands of dollars away for, for absolutely nothing. Yeah, you you got to yeah. fix it right the first time. It's got to be almost sterile inside. It can't have any kind of debris left in it whatsoever. Oh, and there's just that, no way yeah. to flush any of that out. But, I mean, it's a great little truck. I mean, if you even if you had to spend some money to fix the air conditioning, I mean, it's well worth it. The first one went 275,000 miles. That's pretty darn good. But, I mean, I don't want to discourage you, but those are the steps you'd have to do. Number one, make sure the compressor is not locking up and making the clutch do that. And then number two, you could have you'd have to take the clutch off, which generally involves taking the compressor off. So just be sure you check all the lines and make sure they're perfectly clean. Or if you're gonna have it done, get it to somebody who can do that for you and make sure they get every bit of metal out of it and do it right one time and you can be way cheaper off. Well, I think I'll just drive my Chevy in the summer. <laughs> <laughs> you can do that okay, as well. Guys. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks. Uh-huh. Okay, man. Thank okay. you. Bye bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number if you want to follow the automotive fire. We're going to try to catch our last little call for the break. we got David on line. Good morning, David. Good morning. Yes, sir. I have a uh, 2005 Nissan Murano. Mm-hmm. It is jump time, apparently. It has 3.0 V6 in it. I'm sorry, 4.0 V6. Okay. It started, it, it had jump time on me, and I, I went to change the cam sensors. Mm-hmm. Um, and I changed the cam sensors, and it, it was going just fine. Went down the road, and my wife stalled out. Went and picked her up, brought it back home, ran some tests on it and everything. And the next thing I know, it you know it, it died on me again. So went through, went on YouTube and, and did a, a programming thing on it and reset it, and it's still doing it. Mm-hmm. Somebody told me that I needed to a mechanic told me that I needed to change the engine on it. Another mechanic told me I just needed to change the head because it bent every valve in the head when it jumped time. Well, I'm not 100% sure, David, that you've really established that it's jump time yet. I mean, just dying, if it was dying before, and then you change some sensors and start running, that don't sound like jump time to me. It wouldn't have started running good again. I mean, it can't jump back into time. Right. You know, it's going to continue to get further and further out, if anything, I would make sure that you've got the right problem diagnosed, man. That could be something like some wires on the sensors where it's losing sight of a crank sensor or losing sight of a cam sensor and not syncing because you've got a bad connection. I mean, there's all sorts of things that might cause that. You just need to establish for sure that you've got a jump time problem. And, I mean, one way you could do that is just run a compression check on the motor. If it has jump time and the valves fit the pistons, you won't have very much compression in any of the cylinders. So, I mean, a simple compression test would say, okay, yeah, we got a major internal problem, or no, we don't. We got an external problem. And even if you have to pay somebody to find this problem, it's going to be way cheaper than junk, yanking all those heads off of there and then to find out that, hey, there ain't nothing wrong with it and still got to diagnose the original problem. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. This yeah. doesn't sound like a jump time issue to me. Now, I could be wrong. It could be. But again, a compression test is pretty simple, and that would tell you one way or the other. Who's a good person to go to for this? I, I, Where are you calling from, man? I'm in Denham Springs. We do that type of work. Almost any good shop could do that. That's fairly simple, direct, straightforward stuff. Almost any good shop could do that for you. Okay. I'd have to get it towed over there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that would be, I think, your best bet. I mean, absolute worst-case scenario, if it needs a motor, we would probably look, on a vehicle that age, I'd probably look at trying to find a used motor with a lot lower miles than you have and replace that just because... If I could find a motor with, say, eighty or 90,000 miles on it, swap it out, it would save you a lot of money and it would fix the problem if that's the case. You know, if the valves have hit the pistons, 
I would have to agree with the first guy that, yeah, that probably does need to replace them. How many miles are on it now? 165. Yeah, see, with 165, you don't want to spend the money because you can spend almost as much money pulling the head and all that as you would replacing with a used motor. And if the piston, if the valves got bent, they hit the pistons. Yeah. So the pistons, pistons are probably could damaged be also. Damaged or compromised or, you know, knocked out around, all those sorts of things. I mean, let's say we could find a motor with eighty or 90,000 miles. I mean, you got 165 on this one, and you could probably take a little better care and get even more now than the next. And that's probably as long as you could keep the truck anyway. But, again, I wouldn't jump to the conclusion that that is a jump timing issue. I'd, I'd want to diagnose and get a of what is going on there. Yeah. All righty? All right. Thank you much. All right, Dave. Thanks, man. All right. All right. We got to take our second little break. Mike, if you hold on, you'll be straight up after this break. You can tell if my brand new bow and mirror are a good match. Yes. As I gaze into my crystal ball, I see him over a grill. And now he's on the couch watching football, eating a large plate of meat. Meat? Yes. No veggies. Now I see him on a boat, fishing, and then on a deer stand. Fishing and hunting? Yes. I'm afraid so. Wouldn't it be great if you could look into your car's future to see the road ahead? At Agco, you can. Take your car to Agco once a year for a general inspection. It's the best way to catch any potential problems that could lead to bigger repairs down the road. Ah, it looks like all this man wants to do is watch sports, hunt, fish, and grill. Oh, Madame Babushka, I love all those things. He sounds perfect. Thank you so much. Huh, c'est la vie. My work here is done. Keep your car on the road longer. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. We've got Mike online. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. How y'all doing? Today? Doing great. Sir. Doing good. Doing good. Thanks. I've got a 2014 Dodge Ram 250 diesel engine. About a year ago, driving down the road, it's got an automatic transmission. Mm-hmm. Driving down the road, and it jumped into manual mode, fourth gear, and wouldn't come out of it. Okay. I pulled over, turned it off, fiddled with it, this, that, and the other. Got back in, started it up. And it drove fine. Mm-hmm. It's been doing that for a year. Well, it just happened again. Okay. I pulled over, pulled over, shut it down, let it sit for about 20 minutes. Matter of fact, I went into, I was at a little cafe, went mm-hmm. in there, had breakfast, came out, started it up. It's running just fine. Mm-hmm. What could be causing that? Mike, there's going to be a code most likely stored in the transmission module, and that won't turn on the check engine light necessarily. But what's happening is that it's got some type of a malfunction going on that may take a certain driving procedure whatever to come across when it does it's going to go into what they call a limp mode where it lim- it locks it in a certain gear because it gets confused when you turn it off and turn it back on or let it sit like that what it's doing is just every time you turn a computer on turn it off it just reboots it's just clearing that code sticking it in the history and so it's going to do okay until it comes up again now one of the things that i've seen cause that if there's any kind of slippage in the transmission at all it may slip just a slight amount. Well, the two sensors are going to pick up the slip, and they're going to boost the pressure on the transmission to try to cover that slip up. And they can do that to a point. But when that excess pressure gets up to about 15 20%, it knows something's wrong, and that's when it'll jump into limp mode and all that. You may have to drive at a certain distance for that to occur, or it may be a certain set of circumstances that brings it on. 
you'd have to kind of notice what it is that that was different about two times it occurred and there's did you drive a further distance than you normally drive or anything like that but there should be a code still in the history on the transmission module which will tell you at least where it's going where the problem is coming from but it's okay. something that when it catches it, it's just putting it into a limp mode because it's confused and i mean that can be the devil to find if it's that intermittent has a transmission how many miles you got on it over two hundred thousand. has it ever been serviced yes Okay, I would make sure that transmission is completely full of fluid, that it's not like maybe a quart low or half quart low. That's one thing that can cause that. Because if you drive it a long enough distance, it, that little bit of slipping from being low can keep boosting the pressure until it gets high enough to kick it in limp mode. Okay. A couple of the other things is like any type of a sensor on the engine that's bad, like if the throttle position sensor or any of that is not reading exactly right, has a little glitch in it, it can do that. Uh, electrical charging system yeah i've seen cause them to go into limp mode even something like brian said like a bad or loose battery cable can cause that i mean just so many things can cause them to do it but i would start out by having someone scan all the modules on the vehicle and just because check engine lights on not on does not mean there's not a problem because on a diesel the check engine system is completely different from a gas car because it doesn't have the same things to worry about and things that do not really affect emissions normally do not turn the check engine light on but it may store code in a different module that you can't get to with a code reader so you need to take it to someone who's got a chrysler scan tool that can go in read all those codes and see if there's anything that would at least give you a, a region to start looking in and don't disconnect the battery in the meantime right because all that history will be gone yeah and you're they'll wiping have all out they'll out. have okay. nothing to work with then okay but see whatever it is it's just going to get worse in time it's just it's really in a minute right now but it's gonna get worse and worse and worse and may cause problems so if you can get it diagnosed now, then that would be certainly the way to go. If you can't, you may just have to wait to get a little more consistent. Okay, so uh, right now I should check the uh, transmission fluid level. I would certainly I, check that. Okay. And then also I would have all of the modules on the vehicle scanned to see if there's any code stored that would give you some insight into what's going on. Okay, well, that's what I will do. All right. I appreciate the help. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. All right, bye. I two nine one sixty nine zero one is the number, and we've got Charlotte online. Good morning, Charlotte. Good morning, fellas. How y'all doing? Doing great, great. ma'am. I have a 2007 GMC Sierra, just a 5.3 V8, mm-hmm. 198,000-mile on it, running like a top, Okay. Uh, going to a little job out in Fluker, Louisiana, and all of a sudden, a warning came across the screen, uh, engine oil pressure low, mm-hmm. turn, stop engine. So right. I did that. I waited a while, sitting on the side of the road, cranked it up, and went away. So I, I drove on to my appointment mm-hmm. about a couple of miles away. That lady that I was at her house, she said, well, my, my relative owns a dealership in Amy. I said, okay. She said, bring it on over there. I brought it over there. They they changed the sending unit, yes, all ma'am. sending unit, mm-hmm. right. and they cleaned the screen. Okay. okay. When the guy brought it out to me, he said, you know, your truck's riding rough. I said, it wasn't riding rough when I brought it in. It was riding smooth as glass. I mean, never, you know, any shaking, vibration. Nothing. It was riding mm-hmm. like a top. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It's riding rough. So I said, okay. He said, but go ahead and take it home. So I didn't get 50 feet from the dealership and it was jumping all over the place. Mm-hmm. Acting crazy. Engine oil light started flashing. Stability track is off. Traction control off. Kept flashing, flashing. Turned around, went back to the dealership. He said, oh, well, it could be a, um, something as small as a spring in your cylinder or it could be a lifter. We don't know. We haven't looked at it. But we can't we can't do anything about it today. It's too late in the day. 
I said, well, can I drive it home? Because I, I don't know a soul out here. He said, sure, just drive, you know, on the road. Don't get on the interstate. Mm-hmm. So I kept it about 45 miles an hour. Went all the way home. By the A mile before I got to my house, the oil pressure light came on again. And I had plenty of oil in it. I just had the oil changed. Mm-hmm. I checked that, made sure everything was fine. The oil pressure gauge was reading close to 40, you know. But I pulled over again, called the dealership. He said he didn't know what was going on. So I decided to bring it to a local dealership in Baton Rouge the next morning, shaking and jumping and, you know, going about 25 miles an hour. Well, they called me that day saying, I need a new engine. Okay. Could they have done something to it? Probably not. You know, what they did, they changed the oil pressure sending unit and the screen, which is very, very common failure item on it. Mm-hmm. I think it was probably just too little too late. I think that most likely, from what you're telling me, something was starting to come apart in the motor at that point, and mm-hmm. the debris from whatever's coming apart plugged up the screen, and so the oil pressure sending unit quit working. But if they change the sending unit and the light's still coming on, it's pretty clear that it d- the engine doesn't have oil pressure. And there's nothing they would have done that would have caused that. Most likely, something has failed inside the engine. Now, that one is, is it a displacement on demand engine? Yeah. I believe yeah. it is in that one. Yeah. Those are pretty common for the lifters going bad. And what mm-hmm. happens, it has a roller on the bottom of the lifter that runs on the camshaft. There's, mm-hmm. a, there's a plastic retainer that keeps it from right. spinning in the bore. And the plastic retainer wears out and the, the lifter will turn. Mm-hmm. And when it does, it wipes the cam out. Yeah, and that metal will go gets, through the oil. And right, plug. it gets, plugs that screen up and tells mm-hmm. you have no oil pressure. Yeah, I okay. mean, most likely they didn't do anything improper. I got to say, I mean, the only thing they could have done differently is when they had the oil pressure sending unit out, they could have done an oil pressure test. And at that point, they would have seen the engine didn't have oil pressure. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that it would have made a, a great deal of difference. But chances are you had a problem going on anyway, and that's what caused all the other stuff. But Okay. The sending unit is a pretty common failure, so I can see why somebody might just change would the sending unit and hope you know, hope that that would fix it if, if they were looking mm-hmm. for a smaller repair. But chances sure. are the issue was already there, and you know it just okay. manifested. Okay. It just it just it was driving so well, and you know, yeah, and, and it, it was probably just starting, and it just developed. You know, it just got worse, and yeah. you know, it, like I said, if Brian, like Brian said, those little plastic retainers on those lifters are pretty bad at that mm-hmm. mileage; they'll wear out. And the lifter will flip around on it, and when it does, it'll start tearing the camshaft up. And they'll also, a lot of times, they'll throw a check engine light or they'll start missing, you know, mm-hmm. which may be what's going on now because it, it basically shuts that cylinder down because it blocks the hole off in the lifter where it bleeds it down. Right, right. That's that's what he said. And and the dealership locally said they would not even they wouldn't even take my money to repair it. They're not they're not going to repair it. They said it's not worth the money. For the, uh, the age of the vehicle, 10 years old and 198,000 miles. So. Well, it's, well, it's a new engine. Yeah, I mean, we yeah, put... Yeah, new engine, $7,000. I understand. By, by, by seven but, grand. But then again, you're going to have a three or 100,000-mile warranty on that new engine. I mean, what are you going to buy for $7,000? All right. At, yeah. at very least, there's a ton of those in the yards already. Get a used engine put in. You could even do that, but save uh, you some money. What I'm yeah. what I'm looking at is the po- way to get point A to point B. Correct. And mm-hmm. you know, a used truck is probably fifteen thousand, and a new truck's forty thousand. And you know right. everything about this one already, and, except it needs an engine. I mean, I haven't so, seen the truck, but if it's in pretty good shape, otherwise, and you like it, and it does everything you want to do, the cheapest way to go is probably put an engine in it. Sure. And I mean, yeah. you can get bids from other people to do it rather than a dealership. I mean, dealerships are generally more expensive than an independent shop would be. But mm-hmm. yes, that is about the range where those engines are going to run, probably somewhere around $7,000 install. But again, that would mm-hmm. be a GM remand engine with a three or 100,000 mile warranty, which is, you know, pretty not, good. Not a bad yeah. deal. You know, my, if I got an O2 model, 
And if my engine went out tomorrow, that's what I would do because I'm okay. not going to buy. I'm not going to spend forty grand for a new one, and I'm not going to spend fifteen thousand for a used one. And maybe have the same problem. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And well, they they were telling me, well, you know, your transmission's ten years old, and everything else in the truck is ten years old. Well, it is, so but why, I mean, why, but it's why paid put for. that money in something yeah. that old, you know? And yeah. Well, it just depends on how you how you feel about it. I mean, I like right. I said, my truck's an O2 model, so what's that? And 16 yeah. years old yeah and i mean yeah. i drive it every day and mm-hmm. i've seen a lot of those trucks with three hundred thousand miles just something sure. went wrong with the motor in this one but yeah you know it just depends on how you weigh things out the way I, what i always suggest to people like that in that situation because i we do a lot of that kind of work so i see this a lot mm-hmm. and i always suggest is to have a good general inspection done on the vehicle and as we do what we call a general inspection that's where we go from stem to stern we check everything on your car and if I come back and I say, Charlotte, look, the transmission fluid is burned. The air conditioner is about 20 degrees warmer than it should be. The brakes are metal on metal. Yeah, it's time to bail. But yeah. if you check the vehicle and the rest of it's in good shape. Then, and all it needs is an engine. And all it needs is an engine. Yeah, that might be yeah. a feasible thing. I mean, put an engine in it, drive it. I mean, if you figure right now it's worth zero. It's walk yeah. away, the engine's bad. You walk away, throw it away, and go buy something new. You mm-hmm. spend seven grand, you drive it four years, you probably st- still get 7000 back out of it. Yeah, and and you know I'd just taken it to this local dealership about a month prior, mm-hmm. and they did uh, a transmission I think service, fluid, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. cleaning that out and putting new. And they did. Um, they didn't mention any problems with the transmission at that no, time. No, they did the fuel system. They did everything. Yeah, I mean, they had a whole eight hundred dollars worth of work done. Right, right. And just to keep it in you know tip top shape, and uh, just was so shocked. I tell you what, <laughs> I would. If I were you, Charlotte, and I was in that situation, is I would get this to somebody who could do you a good general inspection, somebody mm-hmm. I knew and trusted, and I would have, based on what that told me, is where I'd make a decision. Mm-hmm. Because if you got several looming problems, then, yeah, it doesn't make sense. But if the rest of the truck's in good shape, you got to remember a dealership is in business, number one, to sell cars. Absolutely. That's what they're there for, okay? And they mm-hmm. fix cars, too, but they're in business mostly to sell cars. So if they can tell you, well, this thing ain't worth fixing, and you say, okay, I'll just give it to you, or I'll trade it in, I'll give you whatever, they put mm-hmm. a motor in it, they sell it, and then they sell you another car too. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's double, double whammy. There. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I think you just need a little more information. I would probably bring it somewhere and have them do a general inspection, and from there I'd make a decision. Okay. All right. Okay. I thank you all so much. All right. You're thank you. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. 291-6901 is the number if you want to be part of the automotive hour. We gotta take our last quick little break. Greg and Paul, hold on, you'll be straight up after this break. Welcome. I am the great fondue, automobile fortune teller. Sit. I'm hoping you can tell me if I have any big car repairs looming in my future. Ah, I see you among many cars, stopping and going. Yeah, Baton Rouge traffic. Now you're making a left turn. Hands, ten and two. Nice form. Uh, thanks? Now you're stopped at a light. Look, you're just naming things I do every day. I want to know if my car is going to break down anytime soon. If you're hoping to gaze into your car's future, AGCO suggests bringing in your vehicle once a year for a general inspection. AGCO gives you an honest opinion on the maintenance needed to keep your car running and save you money on big repairs in the future. Great fondue, you should try another profession instead of a car fortune teller. Well, I was a mechanic at one of those quickie lube places, and believe me, I'm actually a better fortune teller. Well, that's scary. Keep your car on the road longer. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvesan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here by my side. 
Hey, Twin Tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. We're going to try to catch these two lines we got holding. We've got Greg's been patiently holding. Good morning, Greg. Hey, guys, real quick. Last week's show, which I think was probably a best of show, mm-hmm. you talked about front-end work, and you talked in particular about a part on the front end that should not move, but it, uh, a lot of times when you have an issue uh, or, or from time to time a mechanic or, or whatever may grab it, and move it or see if it'll move, mm-hmm. and that will make it move, and then you're kind of SOL. Yeah, probably a tie rod in being checked with like a big pair of water pump pliers or something. Gotcha. Uh, that's an improper check procedure, right. and it's a spring-loaded part. So if you sure. put a big pair of pliers and clamp it down, you can make it move. Sure. But you can also crush the spring, and if you do, gotcha. you destroy the joint. So that's the, the tie rod. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a tie rod in, if I recall. Uh, I recorded that show yeah. I don't know, yeah. five years ago, and I <laughs> edited it about three weeks ago. It's been a Mardi Gras since then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I hear you. I hear you. And, 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 but I think that's what it was, too. I just wanted to double-check before, yes, I, before I went to the shop. Thank yeah, you. if you go on my website and just type in the word tie rod, it'll show you the proper procedure for checking tie rods. And if they'll let you out in the shop when they're checking your car, just watch them. If they use that procedure, then you know you got somebody there that knows what they're doing. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm going to a highly reputable, but, you know, you never know, and I mm-hmm. just want to kind of have that safety in my mind. Oh, absolutely. So. Mm-hmm. Thank you. All right, man. Thanks, Greg. All right. Let's see. we got time for another call. we got Paul online. Good morning, Paul. Okay, fellas. i got a 06 Saturn View, the 3.5 with the Honda engine. Yes, sir. And it's leaking oil. And I think it's leaking from where the spark, one of the spark plugs is. Okay. Would that be possible? Yes, sir. There is some seals that, there's two different seals. One is around the valve cover. There's a round seal, almost like a little wheel bearing seal where the spark plug tube is. That's pretty mm-hmm. common to leak there. And not, it's a big-ish job on a V6 because you have to pull the intake manifold off to get to the back one. The front one's kind of right there, easily accessed. Now, there's also a seal at the base of that tube, which is a lot more difficult to get to, but hardly ever leaks. Most of the time, it's the valve cover tube seals that are leaking. And, it is the front one. Yeah, well, the front one's fairly easy. Yeah. I mean, if, if the back one's not leaking, you could technically just do the front one. That one's pretty much a piece of cake. Probably got to take the valve cover off. Yeah, maybe, maybe an hour, hour and a half job, pull the valve cover off, change the three tube seals, and change the valve cover gasket. That right. one's pretty easy as long as the back one's not leaking. Okay, that's what I needed to know. All right, sounds All right. great. Thank you. Thanks, man. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Well, I'm got telling all you. those knocked right on out. You know, we said we were going to talk a little bit about buying a used car, but, of course, with all the calls, we didn't have time to talk about a whole lot, so we'll maybe bring that topic over Sounds uh, great. to next, next week, week as well. One of the things, I guess, when you bring uh, buy a new car, and we had one of our callers that brought this up. He says when he buys a dirt bike, he looks at the chain, looks sure. at the sprocket. One thing I've always noticed, if you're buying a used car, if you just have nothing else to go buy, just a really good easy thing to do Uh number one look at what kind of battery is in the car right look at what kind of tires are on the car the oil filter and look at the oil filter on the car now if it's got a white box oil filter no name oil filter and it's got a third world set of mickey moto tires from korea china on and the cheapest battery cheapest battery battery chances are that car has not been taken very good care of. exactly now let's say it's got a good name brand battery it's got a factory oil filter and it's got a set of michelin or name brand tires on the car Mm -hmm. chances are that car has been taken pretty good care of sure you can assume that what my justification that is after checking thousands thousands of cars it's just one thing i've noticed has always kind of held true 
is that when people start to, for lack of, of a better car. term, yeah, cheap out on their maintenance and stuff, right. that's three things they always go cheap on. They go, sure. they get the cheapest oil change they can, they put the cheapest battery, and they put the cheapest tires on it. And if you watch those things, if you do nothing else, that's going to probably put you in the top 50% right there. So we're looking for a good name brand battery, a factory oil filter, and, and a good, a name, good name, brand name brand tires. That's going to put you way ahead of the game. Sure, that's, that's going to cut a lot of your choices down. Mm-hmm. to particular vehicles and then take that vehicle to a professional have them look it over and go from there right you don't ever want to buy any car a lot of times people will buy say a toyota and say well toyota's toyota, a good car yeah. well it is but this particular one has been cut in half and welded back together cut half, well yeah roll down a hill and set on fire you know right. this particular one has problems right it doesn't mean because a car is good the name brand traditionally is good. Right. that this particular model is good Another thing is just because a particular model has a lot of problems doesn't mean this particular model has a lot of problems. You may get that one that was meticulously cared for sure. and still has a lot of miles left in it. So you just you can't get around a good inspection of the vehicle by a professional who knows, have it they, done. They know what they're looking for. That's right. They know the things to look for. Most of them are going to be familiar with the particular type of car, so they know the things particular to that car to look for. Right. So we're going to talk a lot more about that next week. We're just about out of time today. We want to tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week in whatever form you use to listen, whether it be podcast or Player FM or Podbean, whatever. Right. Find a written review and fill it out for us. Fill out the written review to move us up in the rankings where more people can listen, and then we can keep on doing the show. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.